0: All right, we're going to get started. We're going to worship God with all of our hearts, right? All of our strength, all of our... We're going to love on God with everything that we have. And uh, as, as we're worshiping today, I want us to be conscious of this one thing, that everything necessary for life and godliness is available, Whatever struggles we're going through, whatever challenges we have in our life, there is, there is an answer, there is a supply, there is, uh, there is uh, a resource in heaven available to us that's infinitely beyond the scope of the challenge that we have today. You know, this last week, uh, we were in prayer, and... Um, <clears throat> I once again, and I've had this so many times over the last couple of years, but I became aware of the, uh, the, the, uh, the wave that's coming. And it's like there's a series of waves of God's supply that are coming that are going to devastate the kingdom of darkness. And that each wave is an order of magnitude higher than the one before. So, whatever it is we think we have, a, have tasted, whatever we think we've in, encountered as Christians, realize that there's something beyond our imagination in the next wave that's coming, an order of magnitude, a quantum leap above what we've tasted so far. So, Father, we say, Lord, open up our eyes today, open up our hearts to fully embrace and engage with those things that you have freely already promised to us, made available, and are going to pour out on the earth, in Jesus' name, let's worship Him. As we continue to sing this, you know it was Paul that was in chains, in shackles, in a Roman prison. Who, in the middle of the night, when they began to worship, not only did, not only were they lifted in their spirits, not only were they encouraged, but an earthquake came and the bonds physically were broken. Do you know that praise and worship? can change the physical condition of the world around you. It's not just for encouragement. It's to change the world around you. And I feel like we are on the verge of something, a level of praise that can enter into your situation. It can touch the circumstances of your body, the circumstance of your finances, of your life, of the attack that's around you. Let's give him everything this morning. Hallelujah, Lord hallelujah lord with all our hearts we praise you today lord we declare that you are the king of the whole earth and that praise will be perfected in the midst of your people (laughs) lord we bless you we bless your name we thank you for everything that you've done in our lives in jesus name you know, as we uh, begin to shift this morning, I want to tell you how I, I see worship. Worship is like how electrical circuits function in your house. So you have TVs and lights and, and whatnot, and they draw power into the house. And the fact, what, what determines the current is the draw. How much, how much pull there is on that current, Obviously, obviously, uh, you know, the way the, your, your house is built, there's only so much power that can go through the cables. So that could be changed if you needed more current. But ultimately, the amount of current in a given day that your house draws depends upon the amount is being pulled on. How much of God is coming into the earth at any given moment is based on how much the people of God pull on Him. Faith Falls on God. Worship is an expression of faith. We're not, you know, we're not uh, hoping something will happen. Worship in spirit and truth is an activity of faith that draws on God. That's why when, when uh, I think it's Silas and Paul were in prison and they're worshiping, and the earthquake comes. That's why Moses is standing on the hill. He's lifting his hands, and the presence of God comes, and the the armies of Israel prevail in battle because the amount of God being drawn into our lives is not contingent upon who He is, but who you believe Him to be. And who you believe him to be as reflected in your praise. What kind of abandoned worship can you give? This is what David understood. That's why he said, listen, you don't don't understand why I am worshiping the way I am, he says to his wife. Because what happens in this nation is contingent upon our worship. David understood that. So I'm going to be even more undignified than this. I'm going to make him high and myself low. My worship is going to extol and exalt him. And I'm going to ignore my ego needs in the moment. Even if I am the king, I'm going to ignore that because we need the power of God at work in our nation. This is why God said uh, through his son Jesus, he said, listen, the father seeks those who worship him in spirit and truth. Oh, God. So, Lord, we say today, increase the level of worship in the earth. Lord, we know that this is the plan all over the earth, whether it's houses of prayer and worship, whether it's uh, meetings like this, sunny mornings, or uh, as two or three gather over coffee and begin to pull your presence into the arena where they are. We say, Lord, increase your presence in the earth. To the point where the earth is filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. That's a template. That's a snapshot of the plan of God. He's going to fill the earth with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. But we are the ones that determine how quickly that happens. Hallelujah. So the enemy's primary plan is keep them from worshiping. Do anything else but worship. You can even sing songs. You can even lift your hands. Just don't worship. In spirit and truth. Don't do the stuff that draws the presence of God into the building, into your car, into your into your house. So, Father, we say, train us to to make use of the power, your power, your presence that is so abundant. In Jesus' name, Amen. Let me touch on this because I felt this earlier. You know, sometimes when we come into church on Sunday, we Takes us a little while to warm up to the idea that God might want to see us, right? Especially if you feel like you had a bad week. You know, if you feel like you had a bad week, like, I mean, have you ever done that? You know, your wife's mad at you, your dad or your mom are mad at you, or somebody's mad at you, right? You, you sort of skulk in, you know, kind of try and avoid eye contact. Like, you, you know, you sort of skirt around the issue. I remember seeing these videos of these dogs, right? These dogs are three, the guy got three dogs, and there's trash all over the kitchen floor. So he turns the camera on each of them. He's, you know, he names them, calls them by name. He said, did, "Did you do that?" And the dog's just wagging his tail. No, not that one. Goes to the next one. Did you do that? You know, just wagging his tail, looking. You do that. And the other was. <laughs> it was the greatest thing. I thought. I thought that's the guilty Christian right there. Avoiding eye contact. And we do that when we don't really understand God's love. We do that when we don't understand that God is, is so forgiving and so un, unmoved by your failure and weakness that, that that is not the equation. That's not the paradigm on which He relates to you is, is your performance. He doesn't relate to you at all on that. It would be like this. Imagine you have a guitar you're trying, to, you're trying to play guitar. You're trying to learn to play guitar better. But you go a couple of weeks without playing your guitar. When you go back to your guitar, are you, do you fear facing that guitar? Is that guitar going to scold you or look down on you? Is it going to say to you, you know, I feel unappreciated? No, because the guitar doesn't have that in it. It just, it's just there and it's just available constantly, You never have any guilt going to play your guitar if you haven't played it for a week, right, Gord? No? How come we have guilt coming to God if we feel like we haven't done or come to Him as regularly as we think? Because we have an image of God that needs to be changed. Whether we like it or not, we we feel guilty because we feel something that isn't there. He's not looking down on you. He's not uh, mad at you. He's, he's actually, he knows the, your only hope, your only hope is to come near me. So he's like welcoming all the time. You know, the, the prodigal son wasn't, wasn't pushed away because of the father's uh, lack of love. He, pushed, he was pushed away, and he didn't come to the father because he didn't understand the graciousness with which he would be received when he came back. That's what kept him away longer than he should have. So, Father, set us free, God, from all all the devices that the enemy uses of guilt and shame to leverage against us, to keep us at a distance, to keep us away from your presence. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Did you know that your journey is... Is not your own. Do you know that God began something in you that He promised He would complete? And so, this journey that you're on, you're, obviously you're a part of it, you're on the journey, but, and there's a lot riding on you, but there's an intention of heaven to bring something to pass that's beyond your imagination. And the beauty about this is it requires less than you think. It requires less than you think. And usually, usually the areas that we try hardest are not the areas that count the most. And that's what happens. And what happens as you begin to grow spiritually, something begins to shift inside of your heart. And we've talked about this before, where you actually begin to draw on more of God and on less of your strength. And that's the shift that's actually happening. So, Father, we pray this morning... That, uh, that the place from which we draw, our strength, will shift. Father, not the requirement of what you are bringing us into. Lord, we're not going to lower the bar in terms of what we're supposed to be. But Lord, we pray that as we discover that we can't be what we think we can be, something will change in our hearts so that we'll draw on the power that's beyond our imagination. In Jesus' name. Now, that might be a new thought for some of you, so I just want to revisit that for a second. You know, when Paul is praying for the Corinthians, I mean, for the Ephesians in uh, chapter 1 of Ephesus, he's praying this one thing. He says, listen, he says, if you could only see the power that's available to you. And, uh, I mean, my goodness. I, when I think about my own journey, it, all of the great leaps are, are discovering the power that's available. Now, the problem is our minds are, you know, we leap to to sort of th- those end goals. We sort of, oh, God is all-powerful. But all-powerful is meaningless. It's just a word. But you can say God is all-powerful, yet have no evidence of the all-power in your life. So, faith is, and what God's trying to get us to is so that where we say something, God is... And the power that is at work is equal to the thing that we say it is. That there's no discrepancy between our words that are, you know, full of extreme superlative, you know, aspects. Well, God is all powerful God is massive. God is huge. God can do infinitely above. And yet, if he's not doing any of those things, yet we know him to be that, where's the gap? Where, where's the drainage, the power? You know, if he has all that stuff, yet we're not seeing it. Why is there a discrepancy? And that's the issue that's being resolved over the journey. Because uh, God is changing our hearts from uh, the source of where we draw power from our strength to His strength. So, God, uh, we don't even know how to do that. And as hard as we try to do that, we still don't know how to do it. And so, Lord, uh, I pray, God, that uh, we won't grow weary in trying... But that, uh, and we won't try to lower the bar or change what it is you are looking to use us for. But that we'll actually make that quantum leap into more of you, Father. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. You know, I I, I feel like I want to go on, but I have these little illustrations in my mind. If you're walking up a uh, a mountain, a hill, you know, when you when we're going to climb a mountain, we find. We try to find a path that's climbable. You know, that is in terms of within our resources. If you can walk or if you can actually climb up ice, ice walls with picks and everything, else, you, you'll find a path that you can. But when you come to a place, when you come to that, that cliff that is just impossible for you to pass, you're stuck there. And what happens spiritually in our life is we come to these places where we're stuck and we don't know how to get above. And yet, there's this voice. Usually, it's a preacher or something, or you know, your husband or wife or somebody saying, "Change, do better." And and you're but you're stuck. Well, I'm trying. I'm stuck. And you come to a point where you either decide that this can't be done and stop trying, or you you tap into some other resource other than your ability to walk. Does that make sense? Spiritually, we, we come to these places where something, a quantum leap has to happen in our life of, of, of transformation. And I, I see the, in the body of Christ today just hundreds that there's many of these we come to in our life. But what we did in the last season will not get us into the next season. What we've used thus far is great, and God used that, but we're at a point where God wants to introduce us to another level of power. He wants to introduce us to something we've never seen before, but you're still at this place where there's nothing within your power to get more of God, and you're, and you know, sometimes, and preachers get hated for this, because Preachers are calling you to go into the moor, and you're like, "But I'm trying." You're hitting your head up against that stone wall, and you're tried, and you've jumped, and you've done everything possible. And you say, "But I don't know how." And God is saying, "Listen, there's a shift that needs to happen. There's something that's available, and if you don't faint, if you don't faint, you're going to come into it." And I feel like that word is there for us today: if we don't faint. And I I feel there's prophetic words right now for people in the room. That you've come to a certain place in your spiritual life. You've come to a place where your mind, for example, has has done everything it can to make you into the kind of Christian you know you ought to be. You have devised, you have divined, you have figured out, you have studied, you have looked. and But you're stuck in this place. And God is bringing you to a place in your life where he's showing you a kind of being that's above what your mind can do. And he's saying... Stay. Stay in this place because I'm going to shift something in your life. Father, I'm not just preaching here. Well, I'm, I'm calling us into something. So lean in with me because as the church, we need, we need what God is about to bring to the earth. And, and as individuals, we're going to enter it. But I believe there's a, there's a people oh. that can step into something collectively like, how do, we, how do we get more of God? How do we get more of God? You know, when the disciples uh, were around Jesus and he was walking through the crowd, you know, he was touching some people and he wasn't touching others. But occasionally, there are men and women who he wasn't going to do anything for, but then he did something for them. Because what? Because they made a spectacle of themselves. So, you know, and I'm not saying make a spectacle of yourself, but if, if somebody cries out, right, somebody, it's okay, all right, if somebody, you know, like we don't know the circumstances of the lives of people to our left and right. And so let's give each other room to, to cry out in some way. And, and for us, let's be unembarrassed about God. I, I absolutely need you. I just need you today. And some of us are either at that point or we're coming close to that point, And God will answer the cry of your heart. But there's a fullness to that cry that is still coming. If you haven't gotten the thing that you're leading into God for, there's still a fullness to come into, and I'm, I want to talk about that a little bit today. Amen? All right, so 1 Corinthians uh, 4.20 says, for the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. Now, the context of that is, is the Corinthians, right? The Corinthians were, uh, man... They, they were doing some really good things. I mean, they were behind no other church in terms of gifts and power. But there was a lot of carnality. There was a lot of, there was a lot of uh, uh, division. There was a lot of pride. There was a lot of, of things that were going on in their life. And, but they were developing a culture uh, that was, mm, how do I say, identifiable. Now, every church does this. Our church does that. Church down the road will do that. The Alliance does it. Everybody does it. And there's nothing wrong on one level with having a culture that's Canadian or Pentecostal or charismatic, so long as that culture doesn't limit you in terms of where you want to go, because we all have a culture. When you go to Africa, you're going to find a culture there. There's just an expectation of how things are done. It's fine. But it only becomes a problem when it limits you. But here's what happens, is when people come into a church or a setting, whether it's Bethel or here or a watchman gathering or some some environment, we look at how things are done, and then we begin to do them in the way that others are doing them, because in our mind there is a belief that that's how you get what it is they have. And it's only partially true. It is true to a degree, but not in the way we think. And so... Uh, the Corinthians had begun to develop this, this, this way of doing things. And uh, anyway, Paul wasn't exactly supportive of everything they were doing. So he was saying, listen, the, the kingdom of God is not in word and de- or deed, it's in power. How do we get by that? How do we stop doing that? How do we stop putting confidence in the way things are being done right now? I remember a, a few years ago, hearing somebody praying, and I remember when I was hearing them praying, I realized immediately what culture they were in because of the way they were saying things, and there was this sort of prayer crescendo, but it didn't feel like it was spirit-driven. It felt like it was, you know, emotion-will-driven. It's like, you know, and it was, of course, at the end you have the punctuated, in the name of Jesus, you know, with all kinds of force and everything. And you can do that and there can be faith behind it, or you can do that and there can be only style behind it. If there's faith... You know, when Jesus cried out to, to Nicodemus, uh, not Nicodemus, uh, Lazarus, to come forth, he cried out with a loud voice. All right? Nothing wrong with crying out with a loud voice. But the thing that, that... The trigger was not the loud voice. The loud voice was a part of the equation, but it wasn't the most important thing. So what was the most important thing? It, it may include volume because it's very hard to do something with all of your strength and not make noise, right? This is very hard to do something with all of your might, all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your strength and not be, you know, in some way visually obvious that you are putting effort into that. So having said that, if you don't look like you're putting effort into something, yeah, chances are you're probably holding back. I, I'm not hearing any amens so I'm, I don't know if I'm stepping on toes or it's like, huh. but there's two ditches, right? Which one are we falling into? The Corinthians were falling into the ditch where they were, they were putting so much confidence in the style of the thing, in the doing things in the, according to the culture of the right order that Paul was saying, listen, listen, you, you're too invested in the culture. There's and there's nothing wrong with the culture, but that's not really the key. That's only a, a, a 10% or 20% of what's supposed to happen. And so what God is trying to do for us today is trying to say, what are the things that we put our confidence in that are not the main thing? What are those things? So Holy Spirit, today, as we lean into this, God, I pray that you'd show us those things In Jesus' name. Now, let me read a passage of Scripture, and then I'm going to talk for a minute about what I call duplicity. I don't call it duplicity. Jesus called it duplicity. And after that, James. It's one of my favorite passages of Scripture, largely because the primary thing that God has been doing in my life, my whole life, I see this pattern in James. And so, there's a reason why this apostolic letter was written, wasn't just for the people of the day who are struggling with certain things it was a there's in it there's a template for every generation afterwards and so let me read this says uh if any of you lack wisdom let him ask of god who gives to all how liberally god's quite ready to give and, and, and without reproach. In other words, you know, I'm not going like you know, I'm not going to shame you. I'm not. I'm willing to give. If you come and ask for something, I'm going to give it to you, and I'm I'm going to give liberally, and I'm going to give without. Yeah, next time you better. You know, we do that, but God doesn't do that. But He says, and it will be given him. But, but there is a condition. Let him ask in faith, with no doubting. Okay, for he who doubts is like the wave of the sea and is tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, for he is double-minded. He is a double-minded man, and by definition, therefore, unstable in all his ways. Unstable in all his ways. Okay, let's take the, the, the saran wrap off of this. That's us. We are that people. I don't care how full-hearted you are. Your, your whole life is going from a place of divided interests to single interests. And the single interest is Him. That's just the nature of the journey. Okay? We need to get used to it. It's kind of like when the disciples always were getting rebuked for not having enough faith. I remember back when somebody said, yeah, this preacher said I didn't have enough faith. I said, well, do you? I, I don't. I mean, who are you? Right? I mean, Paul says, if I had all faith such that I could say to this mountain and be removed, right, and I'm thinking, okay, I don't have that much. Now, he, you know, he, he goes on to say love is important, right? So you can have all faith, not love, and it's, there's no value. But the point is, he's saying you can have this much faith. So if somebody says to you, you don't have enough faith, and yet you can't move mountains, I think yeah, I would accept that criticism. It's probably true. If we are offended, my virtue has been assaulted because somebody suggested I don't have enough faith. I'm lying to myself because I don't have enough faith. But in reality, what's going on is I'm just, I'm, I'm drawing from the wrong places. And God is trying to, in my life, say, draw more from me. Draw more from me. That's what faith does. Faith pulls from the power of God. Faith pulls from the power of God, but we, we don't know how to do that. And so, what we do instead is we do like we see others doing, because that's the path of least resistance. We do, well, you know, how do, how do they pray? See, when I first met my, my pastor, he was Chinese, and his English wasn't so great. So, his form of prayer was always repeating the same thing with increasing intensity and volume. But what was happening, that was his style because of his, his chinglish. And he, he'd he talk about that all the time. Now, if you emulate that increasing volume, but you don't have the kind of faith that he has, all you have is increasing volume. With him, though, you could feel the room and the power of God start to be pulled in as his prayer, as he'd, he'd do this thing. But in the, in the short term, what happens, all the people that want to be like him are just emulating the style without the real benefit the best part which is the power so that's a perfect example of, of somebody who is is has confidence that in the style has confidence in the succession or the series of words or the way that those words are articulated right you know it's like anybody ever have a hard time getting away from the king james english a few years ago i don't know it just seems more anointed when you add a th to it. I know we're past that now. But that was a big deal for some, some people back when, you know, it just doesn't feel like the word of God if there's not thou thinketh wrongly. <laughs> how do you get away from that? Because you actually believe it's less anointed. You actually believe that. So, so we're not, we, how do you, what needs to change? Your belief needs to change. What you believe works. So he said to these guys, listen, the kingdom of God is not in word but in power. But your problem is you've gone down a path where you believe in this stylistic thing of this culture you've developed, of how you're doing it, and, and that's, you trust that that is the trigger for the kingdom of God to come, and it's not. There is something else. It's not that that's all bad. It's your confidence in it is bad. You know, again, we're going to have a culture, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just how much is our culture getting away in the way of the power? That's the journey. That's the whole journey. More of him and less of us. Less of how we think it's supposed to work in our, you know, if I just do this, if I cross, if I say, in the name of Jesus, oh, if I pray like Pastor Mark and punch my fist in the air, that's the key. I've been, what have I been doing? I've been praying. I've been praying out loud. I've been saying Jesus at the end of it, but I haven't been punching the air. Yeah, that's the key. Well, we come across, we come by these things very honestly because we are naturally minded people, okay? And we see, we we are closer to the natural realm. And so when somebody does something, anything that releases the power of God, our inclination is to repeat the thing that they did. I remember uh, hearing James Robinson back uh, years ago, and he was talking about how uh, he was a Baptist at the time. He'd just become a charismatic. He said, Yeah, there are, there are wannabe evangelists all over the world in their mirror practicing my movements. <laughs> my st- you know, the way he points his finger and the way he, he, he walks. And, the way- and I thought, Oh, God, I, at least we're not that bad. And the Lord's like, Hmm. You might not be practicing in the mirror like that, but you might still have the same misplaced confidence on what the ultimate trigger is that releases the power of God. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean God is never going to ask you to do anything outwardly? No, absolutely. You're going to have to do that because, for one thing, a big part of the, the thing that God is doing is eroding your pride. And so he's going to ask you to do things that make you feel uncomfortable. He's going to do that. It's good news. All right. But that, it's not the doing that thing exactly that's the key. It's what it does for you in your heart. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like the wave of the sea and is tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Anything. Now, God is gracious, right? And he gives things to us that our faith doesn't, you know, deserve. Because he's good. But at some point, he's like, no, I I do want to train you in faith. So I'm not going to keep giving you things without faith. I did that when you were a baby, and I did that without you engaging in the way I want you to engage. But I'm trying to bring you up to the place where, you know, you are participating in this thing with the right stuff. And the right stuff is faith. But what is this thing? There's a scripture that... um, from Proverbs, Proverbs 23, verse 6 to 8. Do not eat the bread of a miser, nor desire his delicacies. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. The morsel you have eaten, you will vomit up and waste your pleasant words. Now, that's an interesting dynamic in terms of we're talking about somebody who, who is saying the right things to you, but is not really meaning them. And right in the middle of that, the writer of the Proverbs sort of puts out this principle, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So what God is trying to do with us is he's trying to get our outside to agree with our inside. I think this is maybe even part of what was happening in Revelations when he was talk- Jesus was talking to the churches and he said, I would that you were hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm... I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. In other words, what was he usually most upset about on the earth? When these Pharisees would come around saying the right things, but what? Being of an entirely different thing. So he says, you are full of dead men bones. You are, you know, white sepulchers. You are on the outside, you're one thing. On the inside, you're something entirely. God hates that more than anything. He hates that more than anything. So in our lives, how do you think he likes it? Not so much, okay? So his journey is, I, I need you to be who you are on the outside according to who you are on the inside. But Lord, no, you don't, you know, because I'm very wicked or I'm this or that. How many of you are, are completely free in that, you know, who you exactly are is who you show all the time, right? Well, not, not so much. God is saying, what if that was the main thing? that kept you from experiencing my power is the duplicity of being one thing in your heart and yet trying to present an image of something according to what you know you need to be wow it sounds like our whole lives right that is our whole life because we come into church and we say well you need to be good so we're trying to be good right but he said things, yeah, but it's not enough to be good, because if you look upon a woman to lust, you've already committed adultery. Oh, man. What is all that about? It's about saying your inside has to agree with your outside. But we, because we're naturally minded, because we follow the, the, the path of least resistance, transformation for us starts with behavior modification or behavior concealment. Why? Because that's, that's the way we function. We are naturally minded. We, we don't see the difference between, between the person who says the right things and the person who means the right things. Until God comes to your life and starts to show you that you saying this without meaning this is meaningless. Unless you mean it. Unless it's a reflection of what's really in your heart, that image you're trying to portray is invalid. Do you know how hard that is on people in ministry? People in ministry, because everybody has this higher expectation, you need to be this thing. But you know what? People in ministry are on the exact same journey that you're on, and they aren't selected to be pastors or prophets or apostles because they've achieved it all. They've, there's another criteria for that, and they have this same journey in their life. But what happens is they get around people who expect them to be something they can't be right now, and they are encouraged to be duplicitous. Or else, well, you, you will take the job from you, will take the paycheck from you. And never mind, you know, I remember when I was a young Christian, a I, I, brand new Christian came into the kingdom kind of kicking and screaming and went to Christ of the Nations in Dallas, Texas and meet these new Christian guys. I'm so excited to be with some Christian guys. I'm driving. We're going out for pizza one night. I'm telling a story. I'm all animated. And all of a sudden, right in the middle of it, I four-letter word. And I kind of went, oh. And I felt the room. Well, it was a car. It was like, you know, it was like, I felt everybody's disgust, apprehension, their, their fear, their wonder their, you know paranoia, you know, who is this guy, what is it, what is he doing at Bible school, he's imperfect and, but I tell you, something right away I thought, oh man, yeah, I could feel you know, it's like <laughs> all the affection and goodwill towards me was sucked out of the car <laughs> I thought, don't do that again and you know what and so it began and so, I was learning what, what the church will accept and not accept. What people, in their imperfection, because of what they're doing, what they expect of you. Now, how do we get rid of that? We can't. We can't get rid of that. That is uh, the outcome of lack of maturity, and you're not going to be able to get rid of it until you got 100% maturity in every person. So, it's not going to happen. Right because there's always going to be new Christians, but what if we could get to the place for ourselves where we are free, where we are free, where we're where we're comfortable with the fact that we're imperfect? And you think wow you know I'm, I'm getting there it it takes a long time you know my my wife has been talking about me with something, and i I've kind of you know, you know, but you, you I'm hoping it's not true. <laughs> and, uh, but just the other night, it, it, it manifests in this subtle way. I was actually on my iPad doing something. And, and she said, you know, when you, when you do that, I feel this thing coming from you. And it makes, uh, it causes me to ball up inside. Oh, thanks for sharing. But, you know, it grieved me because I thought, for I think the first time in my life, I was less concerned with how that reflected upon me than how it affected her for the first time. And I felt like God was saying, look at that, you have crossed into something. So we're all a part of this because uh, there are these things in our lives that are duplicitous, where we try to conceal. We're afraid that people will see them, where we have shame and fear and guilt. And, and, uh, and so we're trying to cover them up. We're trying to be the opposite thing. But the kingdom of God is not about you pretending to be something you're not. It's about being changed so you're not that thing. But the reason why we keep accepting behavior modification is we can't see the qualitative difference between acting like you're that thing and being that thing which is the revolutionary message of Jesus. When he came to the culture of the day, he's, these guys, these Pharisees, and those people that are part of the religious establishment, I mean, they were, in the, in the eyes of the people, they were next to God. I mean, they represented God. They were so amazing. And so they, most of the people had just sort of assigned themselves to this, being this lower class. It's imperfect. I can't, I, there's no way I could possibly be like that. And Jesus comes and says, yeah, this is actually polar opposite of what I intended. Because what you've done is you've, you've created this image of yourself, but inside you're not transformed. And we might have the message of Jesus and grace, and we might think, oh, I, we don't do that because we're Christians, and we're saved by faith. But, but actually that thing is not so easily expunged from your, your, your life. But what God is trying to do is, what if I could create a people... Who loved one another independent of of how perfect they are. You know what that does? That will coax people out of their caves. That's what it'll do. It'll coax people out of their caves. Years and years ago, we, we had this meeting at um, our church in Vancouver, and, and uh, David Demian, who is a spiritual mentor of mine, he uh, he called this meeting together, and he said, yeah, something I see in the Canadian culture, in the white culture, uh, around um, is this pretentiousness that isn't in our Egyptian culture. Says, he said, there's, what we understand is you can't be more intimate with God than you are with one another. So he said, so there is this, in the church, in the Western world, there's this false intimacy with God, that it does not really exist. And the way that you tell is not by by pointing to how they worship and what, whether they're saying the right things, but how they do people. And I, I was kind of like, whoa, that's, that's bad news for some people. <laughs> so I, I thought I was doing pretty good. Anyway, we went to this meeting, and what he did was this. Now, he's, he was like an elder brother. He's like a mentor. He it was ahead in me I thought uh, this guy's touching things in the kingdom of God doing things that are beyond me I just had nothing but admiration and and I you know learning from him and anyway one day he starts sharing about the problem he has with his anger and how his wife is after him to you know if you don't deal with this David our kids are not going to respect us and I was sitting there thinking what? You too? Because there, there was this fear in me that what, what was wrong with me would, would disqualify me. And I thought, well, you're more qualified than me. And you have the stuff. Furthermore, you're actually admitting it in public, in front of people. I mean, the ministry style I had learned was I can do good, you can do good too. If I can do it, you can do it. So it's like it's like try harder. But say, No, no, be changed inside. Don't focus on the casing, but focus on being free enough, being comfortable enough, being honest enough, being able to be honest enough that you can recognize, you know what? This thing that from time to time happens, it's not godly. That fear. It's fear. The fear is that somebody might discover it and their opinion of me will be defined by that is paralyzing. And it's one of the things that keeps us from really growing because we try to hide it. That's what you do when you're afraid of people seeing something. Right? Somebody pops in the room and you're changing. What do you do? Cover up your face? No. Right? You cover up parts you don't want them to see. What do you do when somebody interrupts you in your life and your real self is out and exposed? That's the part you're trying to hide. That's the part that needs to come into the light. But here's the challenge. Are there a people? Is there, are there a people who can accept me in that way? Theoretically, yes. Experientially, we're on our way. We're growing in that. But what is happening here, though, in the midst of this is is a people, a generation of, uh, of the church is starting to get it. That it's not enough to have a culture, to have a display, to have, to have a, a, a persona of righteousness. There has to be, it has to be real on the inside. In fact, if you read James and you look at that passage right there and you read right through... Right through to chapter 3, the end of chapter 3 and the beginning of chapter 4, you'll see actually the solution and the progression of these things. And He basically says at the end, he says, listen, this duplicity in your life is the cause of all the division and strife. It is the thing that causes the kingdom of darkness to be effective against you in your life. But if you would actually do this, if you would start to walk in repentance and honesty, if you would cry out to God like you've never cried out before, if you would, if you would actually stop hiding... And lying to yourself, I'll, I'll accelerate how I deal with that. Wouldn't it be amazing if we as a body of people could live committed to that with one another? You know, I was uh, thinking about this morning in the context of, of a computer. In the context of a computer, and I was at a computer shop the other day. I had to buy a new uh, router, which I called a modem, but the guy set me straight. And uh, you see these gaming computers, right? And have you seen the cases on these? I mean, they're they're you know amazing graphics, and some guys got dragons painted on there. There's all the multicolored warriors and lights and buttons and flashiness. Do you know that that is pretty superfluous? It does. The quality of the case does not reflect the computing power of the computer. But, man, you can get some nice-looking cases. At the end of the day, it's the computing power that's hidden inside at the core. What is the core? If you want to upgrade your computer, you don't change the case. You don't get a new mouse. You know, and if you try to upgrade to more powerful programs, you'll find that your operating system cannot sustain them. That's the Christian today. What needs to be changed... Is the central core computing power of your life is is being changed? Is needs to be changed? And when you start to realize that's the only thing that matters, then the other stuff becomes secondary. And in the Christian life, and this is where we are, when we when we try to do things like others have done them, and we don't see the power in it like the, it was in them, you start to realize, hmm, hmm, okay. It's not the style, it's not the delivery, it's not the suit, it's not the not suit. It's not that series of songs, it's not that style. It's it those are part of it, but there's something else because you know, like the seven sons of Skeva, we adjure you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches. They said the name of Jesus, but it didn't release the power. Why? Because there's some missing ingredients. So God is saying, uh, I've got it. I've got all the power you need. I've got more abilities, more grace. The Holy Spirit can do infinitely above and beyond what you can ask or think. Infinitely beyond what I can ask or think. And I feel like at this season of time, and I'm just going to close with this, this prophetic application, that there there's coming something to the body of Christ and it might not be the Pentecostals and Charismatics who get it first. Why? Because, you know what, we're pretty good with our our present, what we got. However, I was in Winkler, Manitoba last week, Mennonite Central, and man, it, there's a powder keg there ready to explode. I... I saw, we were at this meeting, it was largely Mennonites who got spirit-filled. They've been rejected by family and churches and there's, you know, relational struggles around that. But I'm telling you, the I saw lightning going in to the Mennonite churches all over southern Manitoba. And I'm, I'm thinking, it's coming. There's something coming to those rooms. Yeah. And if you're, if you're aware of what God is doing amongst the Alliance, I'm telling you, we've been praying for the Alliance. There is something coming to the Alliance that, that they couldn't even imagine, that we couldn't even imagine. And it's happening, it's like it's like the more people are dissatisfied with their current style and level of power, that's what determines whether they become candidates for the power that's coming. That, ha- that works for individual Christians. If you are satisfied, if your life is somewhat together, well, you know, it's not perfect, but I'm doing pretty good, then you are not a candidate for the next thing because you're not hungering and thirsting. But if you... And this is why, as preachers, what we're called to do is raise the bar, not lower the bar. We're, we're called to raise the bar, not to lower the bar to make you feel like you've accomplished something. Raise the bar so you've got something to hunger and thirst for. Well, every time you raise the bar, I feel condemned. There's the issue right there. Do we need to talk about that again? We raise the bar to create that sense of, no, whatever I'm doing... There's some good in it, but I need to shift into something. God, how do I shift? I'm at this place in the cliff, and I I can't climb. I can't get any further. I don't know how. I see you're talking about a level up there. I don't even know what it is. I don't what level. I don't see any level. It's not going to be entered into because you understand it. It's going to be entered into because you pine for it. You desire it. You will, your, your inner guts yearn for it every day. You know there's something. And the people most removed from the last thing that God did are the most likely candidates to get the next thing, not the ones that got the last thing. But the ones who started saying, man, I, and when I look at the body of Christ, we're missing something. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! infinitely god can do infinitely above what i can ask or think mm, is that really happening in my life how do i get hungry enough for that as opposed to well you know what my life's going all right got a house got kids you know got a job things are all right i could coast into eternity with this where are we what if god could make us hungry What if God could make us dissatisfied? What if we could start to lean into Him? So I'm going to pray. Father, Lord, we want to be a people who even when things are going extremely, extremely better than we could possibly comprehend, we are still leaning with all of our hearts into you. Lord, we want to be a people that when revival comes and they're coming in the doors by the dozens and by the hundreds and, by, and into the church globally, by the thousands and maybe by the millions, that we're still saying, God, there's more of you to be had. Lord, how can we be that sort? God, how can... Lord, give us a revelation of what is available. Father, in our heart of hearts, Lord, we see ourselves in the book of James... We see ourselves uh, as unable to lean into you with all of our strength, all of our might. But Lord, you can do this. Give us a change of heart. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Let's just take a couple minutes. and, and Again, this is like your, your guitar. There's no shame in coming back to the guitar and saying, I, I need to be engaging with this. I need to... I need more of this. I need, there's something I need to enter into. Holy Spirit, we ask. If you go on and you look in James chapter 4, he says, weep, lament, and mourn. And I'm thinking as Canadians, we don't even know how to do that. I mean, can we desire these invisible things that we're not convinced of enough that we're going to weep, lament, and mourn? Never mind actually cry out. What does seeking for God look like in a generation? I, he said, I will give liberally to those who ask in faith. So, Lord, we are presenting ourselves today before you. That's what we want to do. We want to present ourselves. Lord, you, you are the author and finisher of our faith. You are the one who began this. And we declare today, whatever we've learned, Whatever water's been under the bridge, whatever we, we have in terms of biblical principles and experience, we're glad for that, but God, what are we missing? We want not what we have, but what we're missing. How deep does the rabbit hole go? So this morning, I just want to, us to honestly come before God and say, Lord, I want to be that kind. Because God is creating harvesters for the end of the age. He's creating people who are candidates for the kingdom of heaven. And he's, it's for whoever, whosoever will. It's for anybody who really wants it. And we're just saying, God, I want to be that kind of person. But Lord, we want to say today, we need you. We need you. We need you. The prophet Jeremiah said the promise of the new covenant was, I would give you a new heart. So Lord, give us a new heart today. It says, let him ask in faith. But what God is opening is that there's a whole world of transformation that's available. And what we're asking is, I can be that different kind of Christian. What if I what if I could be pure in my thoughts? What if I could be pure in my love? What if I could be completely free from jealousy? What if I could be completely free? What if God could change my heart so I'm not always dealing with anger. I'm not always dealing with possessiveness. I'm not always dealing with being offended and hurt and angry. I'm just different. I don't think that way anymore. That's what God is offering. I will give you a different heart. And you've, done, you've gone the route where you've tried to be that thing you are not. And all you feel is like a hypocrite. You feel the tension between you know it's not real And you keep putting your best effort out, and nothing's changing. And God is saying, when you fully realize that your best efforts fall drastically short of the transformation I'm offering. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, we invite you. We invite you to come into our lives, to come in to those corners of our heart. And nobody knows about. Those deep corners of our heart. Where the pain and the hurt. And the venom flows. Lord we want to be different. We want to be different. We're so tired. Of restraining evil. We want transformation. So this morning. We're not. We have no power to just get there, but we have the power to say, I want this, God. I know I need to be changed. That's all he's looking for. God, I want this. And I don't know how long it's going to take because this is your work, but I'm done striving in my own strength for what I cannot do. I want transformation, Lord. And so he's going to come again. You know, it's the truth that sets you free. He's going to say, I'm going to bring you the truth in this environment, in that voice, from that side, from your wife, from your children, from your work, from the circumstance of life. I just want you to absorb the truth. Just absorb the truth. You can change me. I believe you can change me. Lord, this I am dissatisfied with my condition. You can change me. You can change me. For real, Lord, you can change me. Lord, you can change me. I believe you can change me. This is the issue. Lord, you can change me. And if you're in a relationship with a husband or a wife or somebody who's close and knows what it is you're working through, you can extend patience to your your wife, your husband, your son, your daughter say I'm going to wait with you in the journey. I'm going to walk with you in the journey. I'm not going to write you off. I'm not going to shame you into a corner every time you fail. I'm not going to, I'm not going to use my anger to try to get you to hide this. I am going to walk with you to see you changed. We're going to cry out to God together in this journey. And I'm going to be a part of the solution in your life, not a, not a part of the problem. I'm not going to encourage you to hide I'm going to encourage you to believe. I'm going to believe with you. That's the part we can play in each other's lives as family. So, Father, we believe today that we are entering something the world has never seen, never known. It's greater than any other generation has ever experienced. We are standing on the shoulders of every other generation. But, Lord, something is reserved for this generation that none others have seen, and we want to Step into it. So, Lord, we say, thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're bringing us into this. And everybody said, amen.